Luke chapter 6 is our scripture passage this morning. And you heard Neil read that for us. Luke chapter 6. As you're turning there, I also want to share with you uh, just uh, a couple of things I read this morning. I just was asking the Lord for some uh, word from his word today. Uh, and I was struck by just these few thoughts in Amos, the prophet Amos, chapter 5. And I thought I would just share them with you. The Lord says, seek me and live. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. He says, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord God of hosts will be with you. As has been said, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Jacob. And then this expression gripped me this morning. But let justice... Roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's pray together. Father God, how great Thou art. How unsearchable are your judgments and your ways past finding out. And we're so grateful in this dark day in which we live and the experiences that are so present in our culture right now that we can lift up our eyes and look to the God of the ages and we can reaffirm our faith and we can know that you are in control. But, oh Lord God, knowing that you are in control does not mean that we are to be in neutral. Oh Lord, as we have sung, let the church live loud. And might it not be the volume of our voice, but might it be the content of our character the content of our message, the overflowing of our spirit of mercy and love and compassion that lives loudly in this day. Oh, Lord God, we are your people. And you have brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. And now may we, with all of our hearts, Truly be children of the King, living with the power of your Spirit upon us, that we may be light in darkness. And, O oh Lord, may you brighten the darkness in our hearts and begin that work 
in our lives today in a fresh way, we ask in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And you know that we have been making a journey beginning back at the season of Advent, uh, December. We started into the Gospel of Luke. We'll be here uh, for some time, time to time, some special breaks for a focus. But it's our plan to walk through this account of the life of our Master, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And as we are doing this, the Lord in this passage is revealing to us what we are calling kingdom authority, His kingdom authority. And so we must ask the question, what is the kingdom? We talk about the kingdom and we're sharing about Christ and his kingdom authority, what is the kingdom? When we talk about the kingdom of God, what are we talking about really? Well, the kingdom of God in its essence means the rule of the king. The kingdom of God is where the king is ruling. That is the kingdom of God. And Jesus in this season of his life by the events that he is driving by the works that he is accomplishing by the message that he's sharing he is demonstrating that he is the king now for 30 years of his life he lived in obscurity he was the king but he lived quietly and obscure lifestyle in a small town called Nazareth. And then on one Sabbath morning, he rose up, as we're told in Luke chapter 4, he read the prophet Isaiah, which said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon the Messiah to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the age of God's salvation. And Jesus said, This is right now fulfilled in your hearing. The king is here. I am the king. He said it in his hometown. You might remember that did not go over real well. They didn't have a parade for Jesus in his hometown. Well, they paraded him out to a cliff (laughs) and attempted to throw him off. So he went in his home region. That's where he is now. You must understand as we read these accounts, Jesus is in his home region. He is in this area in which he grew up. But now, because of his works and because of his words, thousands upon thousands of people have massed to hear him and to see him. There's never been anything like this. As people are coming from all over the region and beyond to see this one, Jesus of Nazareth. And so what Jesus is doing now as we read this passage, he is laying the foundation for the earthly expression of his kingdom. You see, he's he's the king. He's going to come and accomplish his purpose And then he's going to ascend back to the Father, but he is going to supervise his kingdom from his throne in heaven. And he's laying the foundation for 
the expression of his kingdom on earth. And friends, that's what we know as the church. So where do we fit in as the church to the kingdom of God? Listen carefully. The church, the people of God, the church, the church is the visible expression of God's kingdom on earth. That's what the church is. The church is the visible expression of God's kingdom on this earth. And Jesus is laying the foundation for that in this passage that we're reading this morning. We could really call this the kingdom commencement. The kingdom commencement. Now we began this last week and we were grateful to have some of our seniors here recognizing their commencement as they graduated from high school. And so we began this focus here, a kingdom commencement last week. And what we saw last week is that the king chose some partners. He has some partners. The king's partners are, are named for us in verses 12 through 16. Jesus sovereignly selected 12 men that he called apostles. They would be the foundation stone, so to speak, for his kingdom, which he would build on this earth, the church. They would be the foundation stone. They're sovereignly selected. They didn't choose, he chose. They didn't volunteer, he called. He prayed all night about it and chose these 12. Now they are surprising choices, (laughs) They're a very diverse group. You wouldn't have selected this group. They're very diverse. You've got fishermen. You've got tax collector. You've even got one who's a political activist. Simon the Zealot. He's a political activist against the ruling authority of Rome. And Jesus chooses a political activist To join his team. Now notice. This team is not the dream team. They're more like the bad news bears. They have great diversity. But they have deficiency. These men are not up to this task. They're not up to the task. To be a part of the kingdom. The kingdom builders. And friends, I want to tell you something. None of us are up to the task of being a part of the kingdom as well, right? We're not up to it. But thank God, something that we learn about our Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned this last week. Let me share it with you again. Jesus does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He does not call the qualified. He doesn't look out and say, hey, who's the best people on earth? Let me get them on my team. You know, here's a great fact. We need to be reminded of it. The Lord has never had anything but sinners to work with. Do you know that? (laughs) He calls unqualified people, but He calls us in salvation. He calls us to Himself. He gives us a new heart, a new life by His Spirit. And then He qualifies us for the calling He has. He qualifies us to do his work. How does he do that? Well, he has a specific purpose. Mark 3, 14. Listen to this call of these 12 and see if it's not your call and my call if you're a Christian today. 
It says, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles. Listen carefully, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach. Notice this order, it's very important. Jesus did not call these men to preach. He called them to be with him. He called them to know him, to fellowship with him, to learn from him. And then from their time with him, he would send them out to share the good news. And my friends, that is exactly the call on every Christian's life. Jesus did not, first of all, call you to go do something. He called you to be with Him. He called you to Himself. He called you to be His follower. He called you to know Him. This is His calling. And out of your knowing Him and worshiping Him, He is going to send you to do what He wants you to do. You see, my friends, you don't have to worry about this. Do not worry about this. What am I called to do? Don't worry about that. You focus on this. Am I a follower of Jesus? Am I drawing close to my Lord? Am I seeking to be with Him and to know Him more day by day? If you do that, my friend, you never have to give a thought to what He'll call you to do. He'll make it clear. But you will serve him out of your relationship with him. Now that's the kingdom partners. And I hope that describes you. But what are the kingdom priorities? What is it? Partners in what? What are we supposed to be partners with our Lord about? Partners in what? What is the kingdom all about? What is the kingdom all about? Well, the kingdom is all about, or the kingdom should be all about, what the king is all about. Wouldn't you agree with that? We don't have permission to go build something we call the kingdom and then tack it onto the Lord. The Lord is building his kingdom. And the kingdom is what he is all about. So we partner with the king with what the king is all about. Now what is the king all about? Well, here's his ministry focus. Do you see his ministry focus? First of all, the king's ministry focus is a ministry of truth. Jesus was all about sharing the truth. Verse 17, and he came down... With them, he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And notice what was his first priority. They came to hear him. They came to hear him. What was Jesus' first priority? His first priority, my friends, was to share the message of God's truth. Jesus was a messenger. And he said so many times, so many times he said, My message is not my own. My message is from the Father. 
He gave me the words, I share those words. It's not my message, it's my Father's message. Jesus spoke God's truth. He spoke God's truth. So that leads us to a question, kingdom partners. Whose truth are we going to speak? Whose truth are we going to speak? Where do you get the truth? Please tell me you do not get the truth from some news outlet. Please tell me you do not get the truth from a blogger that you follow. Please tell me you do not get the truth from that great bastion of truth, Facebook. Where do we get the truth? We get the truth with our face in the book. This is where the truth is. It's the truth of God. It's the message of God. And we are to speak God's words. That's what kingdom partners do. We do what Jesus did. We say God's message. That's the only source of light there is. My friends, God said, let there be light. And light emanated from Almighty God from the beginning, separating the darkness. Our God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And he says, my word is an expression of my light. That's our truth. Friends, we live in a society that says, my truth, my truth. That is absolutely impossible. We do not live by our truth. We live by the one source of truth. God's truth. God's truth. Jesus, his priority was a ministry of truth. He was a truth speaker. But now notice this, church. It was a ministry of mercy. The ministry of our king is a ministry of truth and mercy. Look at verse 18. They came to hear him and to be what? Healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and he healed them all. This is a scene that just beggars description. Can, do you see it? Here's Jesus surrounded by thousands upon thousands of people and they are just trying to touch him if they can just get near enough to touch him then power would go out from him and he would heal them all notice that mercy overflowed from Jesus he's the king he is holy but it wasn't judgment that poured out of him. It wasn't wrath that poured out of him. It was mercy that poured out of him. 
The power of God was displayed in mercy. A power to do what? A power to dominate people? Is that power? A power to intimidate people? A power to mock people? A power to dominate people? No. That is not of our king. It's a power to heal people. His mercy was infinite. But notice this, friends. Notice this. His mercy was indiscriminate. There was no discrimination in his mercy. Notice what it says, verse 19. He healed them all. He healed them all. The mercy of God Almighty in His Son, Jesus Christ, was not discriminatory. It was an indiscriminate mercy flowing out to people who did not deserve it. And don't you thank God for that? I thank God that Jesus Christ's arms were open wide enough to wrap around a sinner like me. And when I want to close my fist and I want to stand my ground, I got to remember that the only true Holy One, the only true King of the Ages, the only true and perfect Judge opened his arms for me and wrapped his arms around me. That's a kingdom priority, truth and mercy. Friend, do not believe for a moment. Listen to me. Do not divide your ministries. Do not say, well, God's called me to be a truth speaker. I'm a truth speaker. Now, other people are called to be mercy. I'm called to show mercy. I'm a mercy giver. But I'm not a truth speaker. I'm a truth speaker. Other people are called to be a mercy giver. Don't let yourself fall into that subtle trap. There is no contradiction between truth and mercy. The Bible says Jesus was filled with the glory of God. And how did we see his glory? He was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And that's what we want to ask God by His incredible power to help us to demonstrate. And yes, in an age such as this, that we demonstrate grace and we speak truth. Grace and truth. There's the king's partners carrying out the king's priorities. But now listen to the king's pronouncements. This will be our final thing I want you to notice this morning. This is not our Lord's first message. If you were reading this, you might think, oh, this is the Lord's first message. No, it's not his first message. He's been speaking for months. But you could call this message his inaugural message. This is his inaugural address. He is sharing what is going to define his administration of his kingdom. 
Remember, he is founding the earthly expression of his kingdom. It's going to be known as the church. The church is under the administration of its president, King Jesus. And just in case you didn't know, there are no term limits on his administration. He's in this forever. All right? And he's saying, this is what my administration is going to be about. These are my priorities. And so this is the introduction of his inaugural message. We call them the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. It's the introduction to his inaugural message about the priorities of his kingdom. And he describes, now notice, he describes these in what we often think of as the Beatitudes. Okay, the Beatitudes. Now, here, he lays down the boundaries of his kingdom. Because as he's talking about his administration, he says there's some boundaries. There are those who are in his kingdom, and there are those who are outside his kingdom. There are those who are included, and there are those who are excluded. That's what Jesus is about to say. Friends, I think that'd be a time to listen up, don't you? When Jesus starts talking about some people being in his kingdom and some people being outside of his kingdom, that's a time to listen. He says there are people who are included in his kingdom and he says there are some people who are excluded from his kingdom. Now, who is included? Listen to Jesus talk about the inclusion in his kingdom. Who is included in his kingdom? Now, This is surprising. This is stunning. What he's about to say would have had all of the thousands around him jaw-dropping, going, what? Because what he's about to say is completely upside down from everything the world's all about. And you know why it seems so upside down? What Jesus is about to say seems so upside down is because the world's upside down. What he's about to say is turning things right side up. You see, what Jesus is about to say only seems radical because we're so messed up. He's turning things right side up and he says, let me tell you who's included in the kingdom. Here are the people that are included. The insufficient and the persecuted. The insufficient and the persecuted. He calls the people that are included in his kingdom the blessed ones. The beatitudes. Notice that. He says blessed. Blessed. These are the beatitudes. These are the people who are blessed. Blessed means the favor of God. Who is favored by God? Jesus is describing the people who are included as favored by God, but in the world, they're going to be the insufficient and the persecuted. They're the beatitudes, and he shares three things, and we can just use that phrase in English, beatitude. Here are what... Three things should define those who are in the kingdom. They do 
define those who are in the kingdom. Number one, what we must be. Number two, what we will be. And number three, what we should be. Number one, what we must be. Number two, what we will be. Number three, what we should be. Number one, what must we be to be in the kingdom? We must be insufficient. We don't get in on our merit. We don't get in because we deserve it. We're insufficient. And Jesus describes it this way. Verse 20. He says, And he lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now let's make sure we understand something here. Jesus is not saying a person is blessed just because they're poor. Or a person is blessed just because they're physically hungry. That's not what Jesus is saying. He is talking about the spiritual condition of a person's heart. What a person is in their heart. Matthew talks about the, this beatitude from Jesus' message, the Sermon on the Mount. Many of you are familiar with the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. But what we learn here is that Jesus shared these principles many different times. Many different times Jesus shared these principles. They are the foundation principles of His kingdom. And what did He say in Matthew? Matthew chapter 5, we'll not turn back there, but in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are those... Who are poor in what? Spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over what? They mourn over their sin and they mourn over their failures. He says, they are those who inherit the kingdom. What's, what's the Lord telling us here? He is telling us that the people who get in the kingdom are the people who admit they don't deserve to be in the kingdom. They don't show up and say, Happy day for you, Jesus. Here I am. I've checked things out, Jesus. I've measured all the different teams that I could serve on. And I want you to know I've decided to join your team, Jesus. No, that's not how people get in the kingdom. You know how people come into the kingdom? They come in the kingdom as beggars. Poor in spirit. Jesus, I don't deserve to be in your kingdom. They're hungering to be a different kind of person. They're, they're tired of living this life that is so meaningless and so empty. And they're mourning how far short they have come from being an image bearer of God. They're poor in spirit. They're begging for God's mercy. They're hungering to be righteous. And they're weeping over their sins. That's who gets in. And friends, listen carefully. In a sense, that spirit never leaves you. 
Because even after you're in the kingdom, you know what you continue to do? You continue to know how poor you are. And your only hope is the riches of Jesus. And you realize how much more you need Christ and you hunger and you thirst for Him. And even though you know Him, you're hungry for more. And you weep, you weep that you're not yet what you ought to be. You, this is the expression of people in the kingdom. People in the kingdom are people who fully embrace that they don't deserve to be there. I want to ask you a question. Does that describe you? When is the last time or have you ever begged to God? Not for physical healing. Not for an answer that you need. But when or have you ever begged to God to be merciful to you, a sinner? When is the last time that in your soul you were more hungry for God than even food for your body? When is the last time or ever that your cheeks were wet with your tears over your sin? Friend, the saddest eyes of all are those who cannot weep over their sin. Who's in the kingdom? The achievers? Who's in the kingdom? People who deserve it, earn it? No. People who have been willing to admit they're poverty stricken, they are desperately hungry, and they're mourning over their sins, that's who's in the kingdom. When you become that kind of person, what will you be? What will you be when you become that kind of person? You know what Jesus said? You will be persecuted. Do you get that? Let me make sure you get that. When you admit how poor you are and how desperate you are for God's grace, when you admit that your life is empty and only the Lord can fill it, when you weep over your sins, you're going to be persecuted for that. Verse 22, Jesus said, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn you as evil. On what basis? On account of the Son of Man. You see, how was the king treated? You want to be a child of the king? Do you? How was the king treated? The king was hated. The king was excluded. The king was reviled. The king was spurned. 
the king was called evil. And if we follow him, we will experience some of that. Why is that? One word. One quality. Light. This world is spiritually dark. When you have the light within you, darkness hates light. And the light is the light of the Lord himself. I don't know if you've ever met someone like this. There are some people who can brighten a room by just leaving it. You ever met anybody like that? I mean, they just walk out of the room. Things brighten up. But now listen. Some people illuminate a room by just walking in it. They don't come in with a big black Bible. They don't come in with a three-point outline that all starts with the same letter. They don't come in saying, I am an ambassador for Christ. They don't come in denouncing people. No. They just live. They just live for the king and it bugs people. It bugs people at school. It bugs people at work. It bugs people in the family. Why? Because of the king. Because of his light. Well, when that happens to you, how should you feel about that? Well, of course, no one enjoys that. No one enjoys the experience of being rejected or criticized or falsely judged. No one enjoys that. But my friend, when it happens on account of the king... Jesus said, here's another beatitude. You should be joyful when it happens. How can you be joyful when you're rejected like that? Listen to the king. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. And they so persecuted the prophets... Their fathers so persecuted the prophets. You see what Jesus does? He says, I'll tell you why you can be joyful. Let me reach into the future. Let me reach into the future and tell you why you can be joyful right now when you're persecuted. Let me reach into the future. I'll tell you why you're going to be rich in the kingdom. I'm going to reward you for this. He doesn't tell us everything those rewards are. I'll tell you what, they're out of this world, that's for sure. He's going to reward you. And the sufferings of this present time are not going to be worthy to be compared to the glory that you're going to know for suffering for the cause of Christ. So he reaches into the future and says, see, you can rejoice right now in this. And then he reaches into the past. He reaches in the past and says, listen, they persecuted the prophets like that. This recently, I heard the story about a high school track meet. It's a regional track meet. And one of the team's stars, the track team stars in the 100 meters, pulled a muscle in warm-up. 
and he could not run the race. But the coach had to have somebody representing the team or he would have to forfeit from the entire meet. And so he had to have somebody just take his place and the only person he could find to do it was the backup shot putter. And so he got this big, hulky backup shot putter who was kind of known for his humor and he lumbers up to the starting line for the 100 meters. And he looks to the right and he looks to the left at these incredible athletes and here's what he said. Well, fellas, I may not win this race, but I'm in mighty fine company. <laughs> and friends, let me tell you, when you're persecuted, you're mistreated for Jesus Christ, when you're light for the gospel, sharing the light, when it is ridiculed, you're in mighty fine company. Because they did it to your master and they did it to your serv the servants of your master in the past. Who's excluded from the kingdom? I just read these verses and then we close. Who's excluded? The self-sufficient and the popular. Now listen carefully. The self-sufficient person will never get into the kingdom. And the person who lives to be popular will never get into the kingdom. Jesus said it this way, But woe to you who are rich! For you have seen, received your consolation. He's not, again, saying rich people don't get in the kingdom. He's saying those who are spiritually rich, they are completely self-sufficient. They are not beggars. They're not poor in spirit. They don't get in. And he says, enjoy what you have because that's all you're going to get. Woe to you who are full now. Oh, you feel satisfied. Well, I've heard about Jesus, but I don't need him. I'm doing great. Life's good without Jesus. Doing fine. Don't need to add him to my life. Woe. Woe. Which means cry of utter desolation. Woe to those people. And people who laugh now. Life's a party. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the party. It's a big party. Enjoy it. Woe. Because they will mourn and weep. Woe to everybody who wants to be popular. Everybody speaks well of you. Verse 26. No one ever criticizes you about your faith. No one ever criticizes you about what your life's principles. Everybody speaks well of you. You're popular with everyone. He says, woe to you. That's exactly 
how they spoke about the false prophet. How sad it is, how sad for a person to be popular on earth, but to stand before the king someday and have him say the words, I never knew you. My friend, to be known by Jesus is the greatest treasure and honor. To be known by him and claimed by him on that day. You could say this is the kingdom scoreboard. (laughs) Isn't this the craziest scoreboard you ever looked at? This is, this is the king saying, this is how I keep score. It is completely upside down from the way the world keeps score. But the Lord says, this is the way I keep score. This is the kingdom scoreboard. I want to ask you, does your scorecard look anything like this? How are you doing? You say, well, what do you mean, Sam? How are you doing? Great. What's your scorecard? How are you doing with this scorecard? I'm going to read you what I came across yesterday. And then we're going to sing to the Lord and be dismissed. This is from a man by the name of Philip Riken, who is a pastor and a theologian, but he's also president of Wheaton University. Now listen. You, there's not been that much good so far in this message, I understand, but this is good. So get this. Listen. Here Jesus refers to all the sorrows that we suffer in a fallen world. We weep for our sins, repenting of all the wrong we have done. We weep for the sins of others, lamenting the dishonor they do to God. We weep for the sins of our society. We weep for the sins of our society knowing that we ourselves are implicated in those sins. We weep for the lost, praying that God will rescue them. We weep for those who suffer. We weep grieving over national disasters like pandemics. We weep over armed conflicts. In which people die. They die in war. We weep over social injustice that happens every single day. We weep for loved ones we've lost knowing that they are gone and will not return. There are times when life is so full of sorrow that we wonder if we will ever laugh again. But as we weep, we hold on to this promise that godly sorrow will turn to joy. One day God will take away our sinful nature 
and we will never sin again. One day our sufferings and sorrows will come to an end. What laughter will ring through heaven then as we stand in the golden city reveling in the surprise of our redemption, the sudden realization that our hopes have come true will burst into the everlasting laughter of joy. Now you can say amen to that, right? Amen. What a king we have. 